you want to open up in your Bibles today or follow along on the screen, we're going to be over in James, the fourth chapter. James, the fourth chapter. We've been looking at a heart condition. Saw how some people had their hearts right, and even though their actions weren't right, God looked on them favorably. So often we tend to try and change our actions before we change our heart. We have to make sure that our heart gets changed first. Our heart is what motivates us. And I heard a story here about some things that motivate a certain group of people known as dads. It's a list. It says the top top ten things you'll never hear your dad say. Uh, Number ten, well, how about that? I'm lost. Looks like we'll have to stop and ask for directions. Number nine, you know, pumpkin, now that you're 13, you're ready to ready for unchaperoned car dates. Won't that be fun? Number eight, I noticed that all your friends have a certain hostile attitude. I like that. Number seven, here's a credit card and the keys to my new car. Go crazy. Number six, what do you mean you want to play football? Figure skating is not good enough for you, son? Number five, your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. Number four, well, I don't know what's wrong with your car. Probably one of those doohickey thingies. You know, that makes it run or something. Just have a tow to a mechanic and pay whatever he asks. Number three, no son of mine is going to live under this, this roof without an earring. Now quit your belly aching and let's go to the mall. Number two, things that you'll never hear your dad say. What do you want to go and get a job for? I make plenty of money for you to spend. And the number one thing, what do I want for my birthday? Oh, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Okay, actually, that might mean that. <laughs> well, we kind of laugh at those things because uh, uh, most dads are cut from the same mold. And they aren't going to say stuff like that. They're motivated differently. And we have to understand that what, our, what motivates us in our heart is what motivates our mouth. What motivates us in our heart is what puts us in a position to receive from God. What motivates us in our heart is what God looks at. God looks at the heart, not at the outward man. And too often, the enemy has worked on getting us to focus on the things that God does not look at and not focus on the things that he does. And we go around trying to live our life holy when God says, I want your heart right. You get your heart right, you change a whole lot of things. We started looking at the King Asa, that the Word of God told us that he had a loyal or a perfect heart. And yet we saw that Asa, there were some things he didn't do, and then towards the end, he kind of went sour. And... How is it that God said he had a perfect and loyal heart all of his days? When really at the end of his life, it didn't seem like he did. So he wanted to study this thing out and take a look at what it is that makes us have a perfect heart before God. What is it that has, a, has that kind of heart? Because very often we are geared to looking towards actions. We look at one person who does a lot of things for God and feel that God should move on their behalf more than someone who does not do as many things. We look at someone who seems to have their life more in line with the Word of God and think that God ought to move on their behalf more than someone who doesn't have their life in line. And it doesn't matter how spiritual and mature we are. We're all kind of guilty of that. Even Samuel, when he came up to Jesse's sons, saw the firstborn son and said, Surely this is the Lord's anointed. And what was God's words to the prophet? You look at things outwardly. I look at the heart. And he rejected number one, number two, number three, number four, all the way on down until all the sons were eliminated that were there. And finally, Samuel turned to Jesse and said, have you no more sons? I mean, that's that's something. If If you see a father who brought all his sons to you and you have to turn to him and say, don't you have more? Did you forget one? That's a, that's a bold move, I would think, on, on Samuel's part. But he did that. And Jesse, of course, said, Well, we got the lion killer, the bear killer, 
Now, we got one more son. You know, he's down there taking care of the sheep. and We didn't really think that much of him to even bring him up, tell stories about killing bears and killing lions, and we didn't really want to trouble you with him. No, go get him. And as soon as he came on the scene, the Lord said, that's the one. That's the one. Why? Because his heart was right. The enemy has got us focused on the wrong thing. We're focused on actions. Actions are okay. Actions have a result in our life. And if we don't get our actions right, we will pay the, the penalty for that. Just in our own life. You go out and rob a bank, you will pay for it, right? There are, there are consequences to actions. But if you get your heart right, you'll find that you get your actions a whole lot better. Last week, we looked at how God looked at what was done in the heart. And we saw that what you do in your heart to God is just as real as what you do with your hands. It's just as real. We looked at Abraham. Abraham brought his son Isaac up to the altar to be sacrificed. And God stopped him and said, No, no, I just needed to see that you were willing. There's a place that we go, a line that we cross, of being willing and determined that when we have done it, God looks at us as our having already done it and gives our account credit for having done it, even though we didn't actually do it. We looked at a number of places. This is in the Word of God. God sent His only Son to die for us because of what Abraham did. No, what he was willing to do. That's how real it was to God. And Jesus, in the New Testament, he came along and he began to teach some things. He said, if you look on a woman with lust, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. He saw it as real. In the New Testament, he also learned that if you hate your brother, that's a hard attitude. It's the same thing as murder. That's an action. What you do in your heart is just as real to God as what you do with your hands. Now, there's a line that you cross because a lot of people are willing, but they're not determined. I'm willing to do that. We used that example last week of uh, the Olympics. My family came into the room and they were, wanted to watch the Olympics. I was willing to sit there and to watch some with them, but I'm not determined to go out there and watch them on my own. If I flipped around the channels and figure skating came on, I'd keep on going. But some members of the family like figure skating. And so, uh, you know, if curling came on, I would keep on going. That's just not something that's going to... To me, it's just shuffleboard. And I wouldn't necessarily be watching that either. My family wants to go out and have Chinese food. I may be willing to go along and have some Chinese food. But I'm not determined to go out there on my own and eat Chinese food. There's a difference between being willing and willing and determined. Abraham became willing and determined. And when you become willing and determined to do something, there's a switch that gets thrown in your heart, and God looks upon that as if you have already done it. Good things can come from that. Bad things can come from that. We also looked at how to cultivate a, a soft heart for going back in the uh, archives, pulling out some old things. We uh, brought out the acronym HO, H-O-E, that if you hoe a garden, you loosen it up, you get it ready to receive the seed, you get it ready to grow. Those three things standing for first off here. Obey and expect. Sometimes we get by the part that we hear and we obey, but then after we do what God says to do, we don't expect anything. Well, I've done that sometimes. I hear God say, go up and have hands laid on you. I go and I be obedient. I get hands laid on me, but my expectation is, well, I did that before. I got to get to the point where I hear, I obey, and then I expect. That cultivates a soft heart. More so the last one than anything else. But if you don't do the first two, you can't do the last one. Well, there's a, we want to take a look at what is it that causes me to have a loyal or a perfect heart before God, depending upon the translation that you, you have. Those uh, words are used. I put in your outline that there are two laws that will move us in or out of the blessing of God. Two laws that operate, that one will move us in and one will move us out. First off, Pride. There is a law of pride, a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity, importance, merit, 
or superiority, conceit, arrogance, and the conduct bearing, so forth, displaying such an opinion. That comes right from Webster's. That's the definition of pride. The second one is humility. The quality or state of being humble, modest, opinion of one's own importance or rank, meekness. Again, right from Webster's. When I operate in pride, I consider my rank to be above or equal to God. When I operate in pride, I consider my rank to be above or equal to God. Satan fell into pride where he began to think more highly of himself than he ought to. And the word of God says that he exalted himself above God. That's where we got into trouble with with him. Now, these two laws, the law of pride, the law of humility, these two laws affect my submission, obedience, and my ability to discern. This is important to know. This is what pride will do. If you fall into pride, it will mess with your ability to discern between good and bad on a spiritual level. If you are in pride, you will have a a hard time discerning between good and bad in the spiritual realm. If you are in humility, you will have an easier time of it. So if you're the devil, what's the best thing to do? Pull you into pride. And it is amazing how easy we are pulled into pride and don't even know it. In 1 John... 4 and verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because false, many false prophets have gone out into the world. Well, they're false prophets. They got caught up in pride and cannot discern between what is good and what is bad in the spirit realm. And so they utter things that are not necessarily God or not necessarily good. That affects their submission to God, their obedience to God. A person who's in pride is not as easily submitted to another. And yet we need to be, as the Word of God says, submitted. Well, in James chapter 4, verse 1, Why do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. Now, the word here for wars and fights... It's plural, and it means the conflict is a continuing condition. There are wars, and therefore we're not talking about past tense ones. We're talking about ongoing. Why do wars and fights come from among you? There are constantly wars and fights that we have among us. Sometimes we have them within our family. Sometimes we have them within our job. Sometimes we have them between people that we like. Sometimes we have them between us and people we don't like. There are wars and there are fights that come up. He says, why do wars and fights come from among you? He just gives you the reason here. Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Most people who get into disagreements, these wars and these fights, you're going to find that the reason for it was their own desire for pleasure. I want this to go this way. I want this to be easier. I want you to do this. We have those Those kind of things that come up. You lust and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. The way of pride takes you in to go after things through lust, through murder, through covet, through ways that you'll never actually obtain what it is that you're going after. But humility will take you in a direction where you'll get all those things. That's what he's just introducing here to us. Now, the word there for desires and pleasures. It comes from a Greek word we also find here in Luke chapter 8 in verse 14. I'm going to read it for you. Now the ones that fell among the thorns and those who when they heard go out and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of life. Pleasures of life. It talks about the seed being choked by cares, by riches or money, and by pleasures of life. We have desires, and here you use it. Do not, do not that come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? So these, these uh, pleasures, these desires, these, this uh, desire to go after something that is good for me causes me to not only have wars and fights 
it also causes me to lose the word of God I have. One of the whole soils was, was talked about this. Now, the ones who fell among thorns are those who, when they heard, go out and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of life. These things can choke the word out from you. And we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 11, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The flesh and soul go into battle. He said abstain from them. Put in your outline, people who live to please only themselves cause their own problems. Now, we generally get off on one side of the ditch or the other. Either we get off on the side of the ditch where we are going after our own pleasures, or we get off on the other side of the ditch and we don't go after any. And we think that's what the Word of God says. All right, the Word of God says that, let's read it again. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts of war against the soul. Um, and James, yeah, that's what we wanted. Again, people who live to please only themselves, we, we think they cause their own problems. They don't. You don't cause your own problems because you desire to have good things. How many of you desire to have a nice car? That is not holding you back spiritually. How many of you desire, desire to have a nice house? That's not holding you back spiritually. What holds us back is when we live to only please ourselves. When we are put into an opportunity to help other people, to please other people, no, I'm not going to do that. It's not going to help me. When we only look to please ourselves is when we have a problem. It's okay to do things for yourself. That's all right. But you can't just look to it on your own. If God says to you, I want you to go over there and give this to so-and-so, and we think, oh, but I won't have. That's, you, you don't want to do that. Listen to the Spirit of God. When he says something, go ahead and do it. Verse 3 in James chapter 4. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you spend it on your own pleasures. When we get so caught up with our own pleasures, we begin to ask God, not even realizing I'm asking for my own pleasure here. I'm not asking for anyone else. I'm only asking for... That doesn't mean you can't ask God for something that's nice. It doesn't mean if you have a desire for something that, uh, that you shouldn't ask God for it. You can but we ask amiss because we have totally closed ourselves on what is good for other people to just focus on what is good for me. Wrong motives, I put in your outline, in asking result in failure. That's a heart condition. Verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Boy, do we ever know this one. The world is against Christians. The world is against Christians. How many of you have been following what was going on? No, I believe it's uh, Arizona. They had this bill that was out there. If I, I've heard, I mean, the bill is a pretty simple bill. It's a one-page bill. I've heard little bits and pieces of it. I haven't heard the whole thing. But the parts that I've heard is basically protecting businesses because of what happened with a baker. You all hear the story about the bakers? That the homosexual couple came in. They wanted a cake made. And the baker said, we don't believe in homosexual marriage. We don't want to make the homosexual marriage cake. And the, these people not only wanted a cake, they wanted it made by these bakers. So they took them to court, and I believe they closed the business down because they didn't want to do it. So it is not okay for you to have a belief and to hold to it. That You have to make that cake. We're also seeing that uh, if doctors who don't believe in abortions are, or some have been, and, and certainly more are going to be, pushed into a place where they have to do so. Companies that don't believe in abortion have to provide monies to pay for it. People in this country who don't believe in abortion have to provide money to pay for it from their taxes, even though we've been told over and over that wouldn't happen. But it's been going on. However, if you are on the other side of the fence... It's okay. That's that's all right. If um, and, and I'll tell you what, I heard some of these these things were going on this week. It just it it, it uh, got me really upset at some of the things that the people are doing to stand up for people who are either homosexual or live a gay gay lifestyle. They can discriminate against others. There was a, I'm not sure if it was in Phoenix in Arizona, but there was someone. 
I, I believe, I'm not sure if it was in Phoenix, I know it was in Arizona, but there was a uh, particular restaurant or bar who said that anyone who voted for the bill was not welcome in his restaurant or his bar. He would be denied access. That's okay. No one stops that. But if you don't want to make a cake for someone who is homosexual, you have to make it. Does that seem funny? How is it okay one way and it's not the other? Because the world hates us. It will hate us because of the light. It will hate us because of the gospel. It will hate us because of the name of Jesus. So if you try to make friends with the world, guess what? You're going to be against God, is what he's saying. You can't be friends. This is back in James' day. You cannot be friends with the world and friends with God. So you've got to pick a side. What side are you going to be on? When the world comes calling and the world says, we want you to do this. And it's against the word of God. What are you going to do? Now, now the people that were, didn't want to make the, the people in the bakery who didn't want to do the cake are not saying that you can't get married. They aren't saying that you can't have a cake. They're simply saying we didn't want to have to be a part of it. Go out there and do it. They're not trying to pass a law that says that you can't get married or that you can't have a cake. Not trying to do that at all. Just saying we don't want to have a part of it. That's all. Used to be in this country that you could practice religion any way you wanted to. <laughs> Used to be. Now you can as long as you're not Christian. It's, um, it is something. Well, do you want to be friends with the world? Or friends with God? Tells us right here, friendship with the world, it's hot. You, you are hostile to God. You cannot be friends with the world and not be hostile to God. So stay on the side of God. It's a better way to be. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10 says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. This is the guy who partnered with Paul. This is the guy who was on uh, Paul's side, helping him out. And he has to write back to Timothy. He says, well, Demas, remember him? Yeah, we counted on him a lot. And Well, he went his own way. He loved the world. And he left us. That's what it'll do for you. Be careful about loving the world. Don't love the things of the world. Keep falling in love with the things of heaven. Just stay, sit back there and just think about all the stuff that's waiting for us in heaven. You keep thinking on that. Does this world have anything to compare to that? It doesn't. Just keep on going after what God has. Just keep meditating on that. Keep thinking on that. It changes you. Verse 5. Or do you think that, scripture, that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns, jealously for he gives more grace therefore he says god resists the proud but gives grace to the humble god resists the proud but gives grace to the humble if i remember correctly this word resist is actually a military term that god uses a military term when he talks about this as far as resisting you i don't know about you but i don't want to get into a military engagement with god i'm pretty sure i would lose that God resists the proud. If you fall into pride, God is on a place where he will resist you. But he gives grace to the humble. Now, that's pretty much a line that you are moving towards one side or moving to the other, like we were looking at that line last week. Or the week before about having a loyal heart or having a, having a soft heart or having a hard heart. Here it is. God resists the proud. If we get in the direction of being proud, and we'll look at some of the things that will help us identify that, God resists us. God will fight against us. If we get into the place of being humble, God gives us grace. So even if our actions are not correct all the time, if we are on the side of being humble, we have grace from God, and God just pours himself out on us. If we get into the side of being prideful, God resists us. If our actions are not what they should be, we get a different response from God. The Spirit of God, it says, yearns jealously. If I go after the world, if I go after pride, on the inside of me is my spirit, which is fighting against me going in that direction. It's not fun. You don't want to go against that thing that fights 
against you. You want to go against the thing that, that helps you, that, that, um, that propels you along. That's a whole lot nicer. I don't know if you ever did any uh, uh, running out in the wind. In wintertime, you seem to have more wind. If you go out in the wind, especially in the wintertime, and you go for a run, you better make sure that you go against the wind to start. Don't go with the wind. If you go with the wind, you get that wind in your back, it's a whole lot easier to run. If you're getting out there and say, well, this is easy, this is good, this is wind blowing you. And then all of a sudden you turn around and you come back the other direction and now the wind's in your face. And it feels 10 degrees colder and it's just not, it's not good. There's a huge difference between having the wind at your back and having the wind at your front. If you're going to go on a, on a trip in a plane, the wind conditions are something you want to take into consideration. Because if the wind is blowing, you're hitting the headwind, that flight is going to be slowed down. If you've got a tailwind, that flight is going to be sped up. If you have the Spirit of God for you, He helps you move in that direction. Which direction will the, will the Spirit of God help us? He'll help us go into the way of being humble, not the way of being prideful. In 1 Peter 5, verse 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Let's quote it again. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Who will do the exalting? God. Too often we want to exalt ourselves. Let God do the exalting. You humble yourself before him. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, he's talking about casting all your care. How many of you have ever quoted that verse? Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. He's talking about this in a verse that discusses submission. In a verse that discusses humility. In a verse that discusses the proud, prideful people, proud people. What he's tying this into is if you keep your cares and anxiety on yourself and worry about them at night, you are pushing yourself in a direction of pride. Why is that? Because this problem is too great for God. He needs my help. Without me, God cannot do anything about this problem. Isn't that right? If you really believe that God had it, he took care of it, and the problem is nothing compared to God, and he doesn't need your help, would you worry about it? No. You wouldn't worry about it at all. Think of it when you were a little kid, growing up, and the thunderstorm came up. Most little kids, when they're young, they don't like thunderstorms. They get scared of thunderstorms, and so what do they do? They come up to mom and dad, and they crawl in their lap, and they hide their face, and they feel like they are safe because they feel like mom or dad is bigger than the thunderstorm. Right? And just that confidence, mom and dad is bigger than the thunderstorm, they don't feel like they have to get out there and help mom or dad with the thunderstorm. If I'm just curled up here on their lap, I'll be safe. That's how we have to get. When you sit around and you worry about your problems, you are pushing yourself in a direction of pride. Now, again, the Spirit, He, he wars against us to become friends with the world, to become prideful. He, he pushes against that. Would the Spirit of God lead you in a direction to worry about your problems, to be concerned so much so that it keeps you up at night? If the Spirit of God's not, then are we not fighting His direction if we do it? And his direction would be to take us into a place of being humble, not prideful, and a place where God can minister to us, a place of grace. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. When we don't cast our care upon him, we have challenged the very fabric that he cares for us. I don't feel like he does. I better take care of this one because I don't think he cares about this particular one. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. In the context of what verses we have already read, who would be the people that he can devour? The people that are in pride, not the people that are humble. The people that are worried, not the people that are casting their cares. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. 
But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Now, the suffering is not that God sits up there and he wants to see you in pain. That's not the suffering. But there's a battle that goes on of suffering when we're taking what our flesh wants to do and going after our spirit instead. That's a good kind of suffering. But it says, resist him steadfast in the faith. Don't go down the direction the devil wants to take you. Don't, you've you got to resist that. You go to bed at night and the devil, enemy, your mind, your, your flesh wants to bring up all these things that you should worry about and be conter- concerned about at nighttime. What should you do? Resist it. Go to sleep. If you don't resist it, it's not going away. James chapter 4, verse 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God. Can a prideful person submit to God? Pride inhibits you from submission. Because pride elevates you above those that you should be submitted to. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's the next thing. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. The enemy wants to get you to pull away from God. Don't do it. Draw near to God. Talk to Him. Have fellowship with Him. Be in prayer. Read the Word of God. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Get your heart right. If your heart is not purified, you are more apt to be a double-minded person. What does James say a double-minded person will receive from God? Nothing. So a proud person submits to no one. A proud person does not submit to anyone. They may submit on a couple of things, but in truth, they are submitted to no one. Take a look at some proud people that you know around you. They may submit and say, all right, I'll do this. All right, I'll do this. No, I'm not going to do that. They are their own authority. By setting up their own authority. If the authority says something they agree with, they do it. If the authority says something else they agree with, they do it. If the authority says a third thing, I don't agree with that, they don't do it. Are they submitted? No. They're not submitted. Just think about it this way. We got laws on on the highway. How many of you believe that 65 is a... Fast enough speed on the turnpike. (laughs) Some of us believe that. Some of us don't. Some of us believe that until we're in a hurry. When we're in a hurry, well, 75 is more acceptable. Maybe 80 is more acceptable. And, um, you know, you can have some some problems with that. How many believe that stopping at a red light is a good idea? Now, that one we might be uh, more on board with about... uh, stopping at red lights, stopping at uh, stop signs. How many believe that a rolling stop at a stop sign is as good as a full stop? Now, we may believe that, that it's as good. Does the police officer believe that? They do not. They're looking for you to do that little rolling stop. I've seen some people, they have these uh, signs by the stop sign. You know, full stop, free. Rolling stop, $125 fine. And they just let you know, we don't, we don't count them as, as full stops. That's, uh, that's, well, you can keep on going down and, and look at the different laws that are there. And sometimes we believe that they're there and sometimes we don't. But if I take a law and say, I don't agree with this, I'm there, I'm there for the authority, right? And so someone else has to come along and pull me over by the side of the road and say, guess what? You bucked authority, you pay the penalty. Here's your ticket. And that's the idea to keep you under the, the authority. Well, eventually, after we paid a few tickets, we may become more in line with 65 being a legitimate speed for the turnpike. And we may follow along after it. But a proud person, they submit to no one. You get a person who's caught up in pride. You listen to them at work. 
at work, they say, you know, the, well, we don't want you to do this. Well, I don't care if they don't want me to do it. I'm going to do it anyway. It's pride. A proud person submits to no one, including God. A proud person only draws near to himself. A humble person submits to God. A humble person will draw near to God. That's the word we need to be. Verse 9. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. We need to humble. Don't wait for God to humble you. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Do it yourself. The Word of God also says in, in one passage, judge yourself lest you not be judged. It's better to judge yourself. It's better when you're driving on down the road if you look at the speedometer and judge that I am right now going 75 miles an hour and if I don't want to get stopped and pulled over, I ought to slow down to 65. I've made that judgment myself. If I make that judgment myself, I'm less likely to get pulled over. And the same thing with God. I've got to make those judgments on my own life. If I find... If I can put myself in a position to be humble before him, if I do it, if I humble myself before him, he will lift me up. He will do it. Put this in your outline for you. Humble yourself is in the passive tense. Humble yourself is in the passive tense, meaning we must allow God to humble us. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. I put myself in that position. I put myself in that place to be humbled. But it is God who comes in by his spirit and directs me on what to do. But I have to be willing to do it. But the word there is passive. It's something that's being done to me. But again, it won't be done to you unless you put yourself in the position. How many of y'all like massages? Anybody like a massage? All right. I'm, I'm not a fan. You can have all the massages that you want. I'm, not a, I'm just not a fan. It's not because I had a bad experience. It's because I've had no experience. I just, it's just not something I wanted to do. But if you like massages, you, have, if you, you receive the massage, right? You receive the benefit of it. But you have to put yourself in a position to get the massage. So think of it along these ways. When he's talking about humble yourself, get yourself in a position to be humbled, but then let God begin to massage you out. Let God be the one who's, all right, I get rid of this and do this and just listen to God. And God will, will take care of God will direct you. God will help you. He'll do it. He will lift you up. Now, understand this, because sometimes we get this idea in our, our mind, we become afraid of God. God does not humble us through humiliation. Being humble is not being humiliated. Sometimes we get that idea. Well, he's so proud, God will have to humble him. What we mean to say is, he's so proud, God will have to humiliate him. That's not how God does it. God does not humble you by humiliating you. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of God. God wants to humble you, but he does not want to humiliate you. That doesn't help. How many have ever been helped when someone has humiliated you? It's not a, been, not a helpful situation. Why would we think that God does it for help? He doesn't. God does not humble us through humiliation. It is submission to Him. We submit to Him. When God says something, we do it. So what we do, we practice submission. When we learn what the Word of God has to say, I do it. Because the Word of God says to do it. How many of you read the Bible every day? Why do you do that? Because the Word of God tells us, read it. How many of you speak the, Bible, speak the Word of God from your mouth every day? Why do you do it? Because the Word of God says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. We need to say what the Word of God says. We, we do it because the Word of God tells us to, and we submit to it. There's a submission that's there. Well, I don't quite understand what this is, but I'll do it because the Word of God is telling me to. And that's how we have to go. Submission to Him means what I know God is telling me to do, what God has shown me in His Word, I will do it. If the Word of God comes out and says, read the Word, 
study the Word, speak the Word, and I say, no, I don't have to read the Bible. What have I done? I've exalted myself. I've gotten myself into pride. And I'm becoming resistant to God. If I resist God, guess what He does to me? He resists me. And we put up a wall. I can't receive the things from God that I need. I'm at odds with the Spirit of God on the inside of me. I'm not helping myself out. Submit to Him. Resist Satan. Resist evil. Resist the flesh. Resist the things that He would do. When I, I, I know where that's from. I know that's from the enemy. I'm going to resist that. I'm not going to give in to that. That's what we need to do. Sometimes we're resisting God and submitting to the enemy. That's not a good place to be. Submit to him. Resist Satan. Draw near to God. We can do this by uh, certainly cleaning up my actions. That'll help you draw near to God. But it's more of a heart thing. But there's going to have an effect on your actions. Clean up your thoughts. So put it this way, clean up your heart, clean up your thoughts. You will eventually end up cleaning up your actions. Verse 11. Do not speak evil of one another. Now we're getting into the nitty gritty. He's basically spent all this time introducing this. Now he gets into the nitty gritty about pride. Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law. Therefore is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? If you are a person whose life has gotten into the area of pride and out of the area of humility, it's real easy to tell. He's giving you away here. That's real easy to tell. If you are a person who speaks evil of another... You are probably in pride. Who's the, who's the guy uh, with the redneck things? Yeah, Jeff, Jeff Foxworth. I like his stuff. He's, uh, he's funny. He, um, he, was, he put up there one time, if your mom mailbox is anything but an actual mailbox, you might be a redneck. And he had a picture there of somebody who had a mailbox made out of an old microwave oven. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you are in pride... This is probably something that you're doing. Just listen to your conversation. Do you speak evil about other people? Now, what's evil? Do you mean it has to be something hateful? No. How many times? And now, don't don't say yes out loud or anything like that. But how many times have you said some things about another brother or sister, another coworker, and it was not flattering? Well, I was just saying what happened. Hmm. Let's read that verse again. Do not speak evil of one another. Hmm. What does that mean? Sometimes. Sometimes it's okay. What should you do? Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. Now, he's particularly talking about people in the church. I think we can speak evil about people in the church even more than we can people outside the church. (laughs) Do not speak evil of one another. Why? There's got to be a reason for it. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother. Can you speak evil of a person and not have already judged them? You have already judged their actions to be wrong. And therefore, you are communicating those actions to whomever will listen. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. You are taking yourself from a place where you're supposed to be and putting yourself into a place of a judge of the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. That's quite a statement. Think of it. Think of what he's saying. If I ever step over into becoming a judge of the law, I have stopped being a doer of it. We're supposed to be what of the law? Are we supposed to be doers of the law? We're supposed to be doing it, doers of the law, right? He is telling us right here, if I get into a place where I speak evil, if I've judged the other people's, other brothers and sisters' actions, I have removed myself from being a doer of the law, and I have become a judge of the law. 
Pride or humility? Pride, right? You're not going to be humble and be a judge. You got into proud. What, what got you into that area of being proud? Because you looked at their actions and deemed, deemed them to be less than yours. You became a judge. Do not speak evil of one another. If I speak evil of one another, did you see what sister so-and-so did? I can't believe that she wore that to church. I would never wear something like that to church. How rude that was. Is this good? Hmm. This, is, this isn't good stuff to be doing. Can, can you believe the car that brother so-and-so bought? Nobody needs a car like that. How did they spend so much money on that car? Oh, what are we doing? Am I not judging that? Yeah. Now, doesn't the Word of God talk about judging at some point? Sure does. But here he's talking about, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? What he is saying here is this. If I get into a place and I begin to speak evil about other people, about other Christians, about the things that they're doing, and I judge their actions by the law to other people, I am taking the place of God. I am making myself equal to God. Maybe even in some cases superior but at least equal. And he's saying this, there is one lawgiver. There's only one. There's only one giver of the law. And it's not you. It is not you. So here we go. Am I a doer of the law or a judge of it? Which one? I'm one or the other. I am either a doer of the law or a judge of it. One puts you into pride. One puts you into humility. Real easy to tell. James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Now, don't go around. It's not trying to say, well, I don't know if I'll be here tomorrow. If the Lord wills. That's not what we're talking about. He is saying is too often times we make plans on our own. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Never consulting God. That's again pride. I'm exhorting myself up above God. I'm not listening to his direction for my life. If I'm going to make plans, I ought to say, you know, God, what's going on? We were looking at Acts chapter uh, 16 mostly this, this past week. And we saw where Paul on his missionary journey after he had visited all of the churches which was their plan for that missionary journey, was to visit all the churches. But they split up, and Barnabas took the southern ones, and he took the northern ones. And after they finished visiting all those cities, what else are we going to do? And so they began to walk on. If you were here, we put a map up. You could see all the places that he walked. And he actually walked further after he ministered to the last city before he ministered to the next city because God says, don't go there. No, nope, don't go there either. He was, going, he was ready to go into Asia, and God says, don't go there. He, walked, he didn't just not go into Asia. He walked through Asia and didn't preach the word. And then he was going to go into Bithynia, and that was just above him. Easy. Just take a shot right up there, and, and God says, don't go. So he didn't go. And then he's looking for where to, where to go, and finally he found out where God said to go. But he had actually walked further through the, through the, through the area of Asia Minor, and didn't preach the word, then he had walked before preaching the word. But he was listening to God. Oh, there we go. We got that map. What a, what a guy on the computer. Isn't that great? Pulls that map up there for you. See, if it was my way, I would have left it up off and said, you got to come out on Wednesday night to see it. But Daryl's a lot nicer than I am. He has a lot more mercy. <laughs> no, nah, it's, it's great that he's up there. So if you can see that top line that goes up through the Asia, he went through and he covered all that area and didn't preach the word of God didn't preach the Word of God. In fact, if you look over there uh, where the three color lines kind of uh, intersect and then the one color line goes up to the north, he went up to there and preached and then covered all that distance 
And until he got over to Macedonia, the yellow country over there, he didn't preach a word. That's a long way to go. But God didn't give him the green light. Why? Because he listened. What, he's, what James is telling you is this. Don't just make plans. Make plans that involve God. Listen to him. If you make plans that only involve yourself, you're in pride. Your way is better than God's way. Listen to God. Well, God, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to go in that direction. That's pride. What does God do with the proud? He resists them. He resists the proud. So do I make my own plans or follow God? Am I a doer of the law or a judge of it? Verse 16. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. (laughs) How many times have you heard people boast in their arrogance? They're boasting about something. They don't know what they're talking about. God's saying the same thing. You don't know what you're talking about as far as life is concerned. You're over there boasting about how good of a job you did. And you don't even know what what went on to get you there. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Not to someone else. You cannot judge the other person. If you know it to be wrong, then it is wrong for you to do it. It does not matter if it is wrong. If you know it to be wrong, it is wrong. That's all he said. It may not be wrong anymore. But it says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now the word there, know, is from the Greek word oida. It's not the word gnosko. Gnosko means to know by experience. Oida means to know or to be aware of. To just have the knowledge of a thing. We have a knowledge, I'll give you an example. We have a knowledge of this. Two plus two equals, we, we, we were told that, right? We were given absolute knowledge of that right up. Once we found out two plus two is four, we didn't have to grow into that experience. We didn't have to grow into that knowledge. We didn't have to find out, you know, I need to just live two plus two equals four for a while just so I can get everything out of this. No. Two plus two equals four. I can even switch it around. It's the same way. Two plus two equals four. I can even make it backwards. Four equals two plus two. No matter which way we go, it's the same. That's oida. It's, it's an absolute knowledge. You just know it. And that's all there is. But there's experiential knowledge, but that's not what he's talking about. To him who knows a thing to be good and does not do it, to him it is sin. That's what it means. If you know something to be good, if you know something to be good for your life and you don't do it, to you it's sin. If you can see some good that you can do and don't do it, to you it is sin. Not to someone else. I cannot stand there and judge someone else who did or did not do the good that I know to do. I need to go out there and do it. I can't not be a judge of the law. I need to be a doer of the law. So if I know the law telling me to do this, I do it. Yeah, but so-and-so is not doing it. Well, they may not know that. But I know that to be, this is the way to do it. This is the way that you do it. And we stay with it. Basically, this is talking about willfully sinning. Willfully going against God. Do I willfully sin? Do I willfully go against God? There's a will that's involved. There's a thing that says, I know I shouldn't do this. I know I should do it this way, but I'm going to do it. That's pride coming back up again. It's pride saying, I know I should do this, but I don't want to. When we were growing up and mom made the big thing of brownies, and you can smell brownies, you can smell them outside. I mean, brownies just have that way about them. And they made the brownies and we looked in the refrigerator and there was milk. We had milk. We had brownies. This is good. But mom said, no brownies before dinner. And we decide... Well, the way they're arranged on the plate, I think I could take one and rearrange them. And it'll look like they're all the same. What I am doing is moving into the area of pride in which I am exalting myself above or equal to that of my parents. And it's the same thing we do with God. 
If God says, don't do that. Don't think that. Don't do that. Do this. Think this. Then I don't do it. I'm in trouble. This is why it's really bad when we go around and talk about other believers and what they should do and what they shouldn't do. Because you know what? How many of y'all know there are some stuff, there's some stuff in the Word of God I know to do and I'm not doing it? <laughs> yeah. There's some stuff I know to do it. I know it's good and I'm not doing it. That means I'm not quite a doer of the Word of God yet. I surely should not become a judge of it. How can you become a judge when you're not even a doer? We haven't even gotten to the place where you can do the law. How can you become the judge of the law? And then when we become a judge of the law, we stop being a doer, the, the Word of God tells me. I summed up this thing this way for you. A, per, a proud person, this is not in your outline. I didn't fit it in there, but it's, it's in mine. A proud person corrects those who do not ask. A proud person corrects those who do not ask. Isn't that right? How many of you have ever been corrected by someone and you didn't ask for it? They just came up and corrected you. What do you think about that? Well, who in the world made you? <laughs> right? You, you don't respond to it. You didn't ask. You didn't, a proud person does it. A humble person will correct you if you ask them. A humble person, if you say, am I doing this right? Well, let me, let me see what you're doing. And uh, let's, let's take a look at that. That's a humble person. A proud person just looks at you and says, you're doing that wrong. It's not the right way to do it. It'll break. See, told you, it'll break. That's a problem. We don't like that. How, what do you do when a person offers you advice that you didn't ask for? We resist it. All right? Because we resist the proud. We're mimicking God there. What does God do with the proud? He resists them. A proud person corrects those who do not ask. Even those they hold no position over. A proud person will correct someone who does not ask and they do not even have a position to hold over them. They're not their parents. They're not their professor. They're not their counselor. They're not their whatever it might be. They aren't. They're just moving in and trying to do that. If you had somebody who met you off the street and just told you something you were doing wrong, what would you do? We wouldn't be very receptive to that. But you could also take someone that you have never met before and in a, in a discussion with them, find out they have some expertise in an area and you may ask them, what do you think about the way I'm doing this? And you may describe the whole thing to them and they say, well, yeah, okay, are you having this trouble? Yeah. And does it not work like, yeah. All right, well, then you might want to, and they might give you, but you ask for it, right? Doesn't it change the whole thing when you ask? It changes everything. You ask for it. So a proud person corrects those who do not ask, even those they hold no position over. And here's the kicker. This is, this is the one that just kicks you right in the shins. And even when they are not present. Yeah, that's a proud person. You've got to be careful. What does the Word of God say? That It does give us some instructions about correcting people. Right? If you see a brother in sin, what should you do? A... Talk to everybody in the church about them. No, that's, that's not it. Send out a broadcast email. No, that's not it either. What does it say that you should do? Talk to them in private. He says, could be that you might win your brother over. You might be able to help them out. But do it in such a way to realize that you could also fall into the same thing that they're into. Don't correct them from a proud place. If they don't listen to you when you go, and it's apparently a matter that affects the, the church. Some matters affect the church, some matters don't. But if it is a matter that affects the church or affects a group of people, and they don't listen to you, what should you do this the second time? Tell everybody in the church? No. What should you do? Grab two or three others. Not a whole group. Two or three others. And bring them in. Yeah, can you, can you come in with me this meeting at this brother? They're in this thing. They're affecting a lot of people, not just themselves. Uh, maybe I'm presenting it wrong to them. Maybe you can present it to them better. Uh, but can we, can we talk with them? And then you do it in private. And you don't tell anybody that you had this meeting. You correct them in private. If they don't, then you bring it before the church. Now, these are matters that affect the church or a group of people. 
not matters that affect them individually. Don't don't change. Don't uh, don't don't confuse those things. So a proud person corrects those who do not ask, even those they hold no position over, and even when they are not present. Don't fall into that. Don't fall into that. So we're spending some time here looking at the idea of pride here from James' point of view, because if we are going to have a heart that is loyal to God, it needs to be a heart that is not resisted by him. It needs to be one that he gives grace to. And the word of God is very clear. If our heart, if our intent is one of pride, being proud, God resists us. If we are in the place of being humble, he gives grace to us. So what side should we get on? You get on the humble side, not the pride side. We're going to connect this to some of the people we looked at in the Old Testament and see how that uh, transpires into them. But just spend some time in your own life this week. Have we moved over into the area of pride? Do we correct people with the idea that we're better? Do we correct people with the idea that, you know what? Man, I could have messed up on this thing too. Do we correct people when they ask us? Or do we impose it on them? Do we talk to other people instead of the people that are at fault? What are we doing? These are the things we need to find out about. These are things we need to, to get to know. Now, there might be some things that you're, you talk with other people about just to find out, is it wrong or am I wrong? Sometimes you're at work, a certain person is doing something uh, one way, and you're not sure. Maybe that's the right way. But you come at it in a humble, space, a humble position. You know, I, I, was, I do this thing this way, but I notice that so-and-so does it this way. Am I doing it wrong? And you get some counsel, you get some help. From, the, from that on the, on the thing to find out whether you're doing it right or whether you're doing it wrong. There's a difference between being humble and being proud. A humble person realizes God is supreme all the time and in every situation. A proud person says God is supreme except when he's wrong. God is supreme except when I don't agree with him. We've got to be careful about those things. Don't get ourselves into the area of, of, of pride. When David was confronted on this issue of Bathsheba and the prophet came to him and said, you're the man, David responded in a very humble way, very humble way, in which he said, yes, I am. And the prophet says, it's all right, you're not going to die. He was humble before God. Being humble doesn't mean you're always right. doesn't mean... That you don't mess up every once in a while. It just means that when you are corrected, you say, ah, yeah, I need to fix that. I need to fix that. I've realized I am not my own boss. God is supreme. He's the one I listen to. We get those things going with our heart. It fixes a whole lot of things. It fixes our prayer life. It fixes the things that we can receive from God. It fixes whether we're staying up at night, worrying about the cares of this world. It fixes all sorts of things. It helps us out. Because God resists who? The proud, but gives grace to the humble. We saw that a couple of times. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Contrast. Here's the other side. Well, we know what side we want to be on. We know what side we want to be on. We're going to relate this a little more to the... uh, Soft heart, hard heart we were looking at before as well, before we finish this up. But where's your heart? Where do you put yourself? Are you in a place of pride? A place of humility? If God sends someone along, do you receive instruction? Or do you resist it? How do you go? What do you do? When you correct someone, do you do it publicly? you do it publicly, you're trying to elevate yourself and say, hey, here I am. I am better than they are. How does the Word of God say you should do it? Privately. In fact, no one should even know that you even went on because that's a humble person. That's the God says, oh, that's, that's good. That's what I want to see, see happen. Don't get prideful. 
Would you all stand up with me? This morning we have our communion Sunday. The Word of God says that Jesus humbled himself and became a man. He humbled himself and became a man. Left aside his godliness, all those great things, and he became a man. As the communion elements go around, begin to think of what it was for Jesus Christ to humble himself. Begin to think about what it is for me to humble myself. To receive what God wants to do in my life to create in me a humble heart. God wants to work on me. God wants to help me receive that. He has a plan. And the Spirit of God will lead us in a direction to where we become humble. We don't become prideful. Or prideful. We become humble. The Spirit of God wants to lead us into a place where God can put all kinds of good things on us. He's leading us there. Sometimes it's just simply, Steve, you need to do this. You need to be obedient here. And I listen and I become obedient and good things come. Let God speak to you. Let God identify you. Have you become prideful? Have you let pride sneak its way in? If you did, you're not submitted to God. You're submitted to yourself. And that is no submission at all. God wants to put us in the best place, the best place for us to receive from him. Has there been been served? On the same night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread.